From Hong Kong, Chicago and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 139. Uh, my name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hello. And hello, Perry. Yo, yo. Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year. You as well. Yeah. Um, it's been a while. Um, since we've been on, uh, I don't think it's been quite a month, uh, but it's probably not and not far from that. Um, and uh, we've missed you, and we've missed each other, and uh, it's about time we actually got to talk to each other, which is what we're going to do. Although it's going to be a relatively short show today, um, and so to kick things off, I just want to say thank you to Vladislav Kern for being our last guest um, and ended. Uh, 2020 on something of a positive note um, which there weren't many in 2020 but Vlad's appearance and uh, and our many other guests for that matter um, were good things that happened last year so uh, fingers crossed uh, 2021 is going to be much 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 better um, and so uh, well, first, yeah um, but first of all I think what we're going to do we're going to have a chat with Perry because Perry's got lots of things to say and to talk about and he's been bursting so uh, we're going to unleash Perry now and uh, see where it, get, where it takes us <laughs> thank you uh, I don't know if I actually have loads and loads of stuff to say because I actually have barely touched um cameras in the last couple of months and 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 i don't know if that coincides with my no nut november you know no gas end of 2020 uh there, there may be some correlation there but <laughs> but um we never heard I, how destroy your dick december went Perry. oh I, I haven't bought anything i haven't i've oh, okay. bought absolutely well i bought some fixer okay uh which i still haven't used because i don't know once you get out of the rhythm um it's not, especially in these times, it's not so easy to get back in. But I was sitting there thinking the other day because a couple of people have contacted me on things like Instagram, my website and things like that, basically saying, yo, are you alive? Um, why aren't you posting? Why aren't you posting pics? And I mean, I haven't really done any proper photography in the last couple of months. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> Yeah, and, not so much. Right. And and one of the things I was thinking was, you know, d do, that's normal, right? It's normal to go through these periods of uh, either lack of inspiration or just I don't really feel like going out and shooting if the world is falling apart around me. Um, but, I, you know, part of me suspects that the reason I haven't done it is just because I haven't bought anything new. Um, and maybe those two things go hand in hand. But also... I don't know, like when when I was doing a lot more street photography, there's a there's a kind of connection with the surrounding subject matter where I, I find myself wanting to capture the ethos of the city as I'm walking around it. And Hong Kong has not particularly had a very good run since uh, July 1st. And, you know, increasingly when I go out, I'm thinking, well, if I'm taking pictures of like, you know, geometric shadows and shapes around the city with people walking around in them. It doesn't seem to really reflect the descent into authoritarian chaos that we're currently undergoing. Um, plus with, of course, all this context of COVID. So I find myself just sitting there 
I still carry a camera around everywhere, but I, I've been finding myself not particularly drawn to the surrounding subject matter, which I think kind of reflects the mindset of, I don't know how, how Hong Kong and how the world seems. Although I did take a photo the other day, uh, four frames, in fact, of some cold ass looking pigeons. Um, cause it, it hit, it hit low single digits in Hong Kong temperature wise, which is very, very rare. So everyone's walking around in Canada, goose jackets and, and freezing their butts off for it. while I'm running around in a hoodie going, Hey, this is like spring or autumn. Um, but have you guys ever seen pigeons when they're really cold? Oh, yeah. So you know how they, they kind of sit on a branch and they, they, they like, you know, they, hunt, they, yeah, they, they tighten up their shoulders and pull their head into their torso, right? Right. So they're like, they're like uh, our listeners can't see that, but just, I just imitated a cold pigeon um, into the webcam. So I took a couple of photos of cold-looking pigeons, and that was sort of the extent of my shooting this year so far. Um. But yeah, I mean, I've just been sort of reflecting on uh, why haven't I been shooting that much? Why haven't I really felt like doing it? And is that normal and okay? And I, I do get a sense that a lot of people are feeling the same kind of way, right? Well, yeah, and actually, if we can just park that slightly to one side, um, because it, it's interesting what you're saying there about you, what you've normally been doing is not really capturing the mood um, and the, the the feeling of the city at the moment, and I, and it it reminds me, um, in a way, to what it was like when uh, COVID first took hold. Although it never really took hold in in Hong Kong in the way it did in other places, but you still had a lockdown, and you still had and you had those deserted streets, and you took and you went to the yeah. airport, and and there was just like nothing there, and then you were faced with a problem there. So how how do you actually make nothing there look as interesting in the photograph as the actual as the actual event was because it could just look like some uh, you just gone somewhere where it was quiet because it shouldn't have been quiet yet it was and yeah. i'm just wondering if you've got a, a similar kind of problem with as you say trying to capture mood uh, with photography in familiar circumstances yeah i i've definitely thought about um that and struggled with it because you know, for example, I, I've been thinking recently whether I should, uh, whether, for example, I could go and do a series of double exposures um, to try to reflect some of the mood of the place. But they're always really cheesy concepts that I get in my head, like a picture of Hong Kong skyline and then finding some fence uh, with a sign on it that says like government property, no trespassing or something and doing a double exposure like that, um, where, you know, it's not particularly subtle, but sort of is reflecting um, the, the sort of mood and thinking. So, so I've been toying around with ideas like that, but <laughs> that requires, you know, finding uh, locations and traveling to sort of multiple spots to get one image and the balance of how good is this idea with how much can I be bothered to try to execute it is, is not quite, is not quite there yet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a tough one, and it's that that thing about um, coming up with cliched ideas and things like that. But sometimes, well, as we, as we know, cliches are cliches because they're good. Um, uh, but it's finding finding something new. But sometimes you you I guess you have to go through, or it helps perhaps to go through some of these cliches and work work them through to, and then find something that comes from it that actually becomes your own, maybe. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I've been toying with the idea of doing this on digital first, uh, just just to kind of you know speed up the process a little bit. Because normally when I'm shooting a lot, I'll be able to get through a roll of film in like a couple of days or a couple of rolls per week. But I've been on this one roll of film in my MP since like November. I think I'm on frame seven and the last four frames were pigeons. <laughs> uh, so the whole get through a roll of film and develop images um, is, is not really sort of keeping up pace wise. Right. I mean, the I know I, I don't know about you, Simon, because you got your large format stuff. But like mo- Johnny, most of your shooting has been digital over the last couple of months too, right? That yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, is that just out of coincidence, uh, out of convenience, uh, out of laziness? Mm. Um, because I I'm not I haven't been developing film. It's been a long time. I mean, I I, I usually do it all in a you know, big batches anyway, but Mm -hmm. I, I routinely go six months before I develop any film. Right. So, you know, I've not hit my backlog yet where I feel like I really have to start developing. So out of pure laziness, um, I've been shooting, you know, more digital stuff lately. So. Yeah. I, I think it's the same with me. I have a couple of roles done, um, but I've just been way too lazy to go and actually develop them. Yeah, right. So, but I, at the same time, I, I can't really bring myself to bring a digital camera around with me everywhere. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, I, think I can't. Maybe I, should. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 the only time I, I usually have a digital with me is if I'm going somewhere to shoot something. Um, right. Or when I was shooting a lot of cars, which I haven't been doing lately because the weather's crappy now. Mm. Um, I would have a you know digital with me every day but i still carry it like a film camera every day i just don't take it out and use it yeah you know same here same here yeah i always have it in my bag but right right in the bag not being used i think i think in my case i mean you mentioned um the, the large format thing but i've not i've not been taking pictures with large format either um and uh, i think it was last week i just had to get out and take a photograph of something um and just to put that into a bit of context, you know, we, we are in lockdown in the UK at the moment. Um, right. And it's something close to being a proper lockdown. It's not it's not like the original lockdown that we had back in March or so last year or April, whenever whenever it was. Um, but it's it's got it, it's similar to that. And certainly uh, I, there's there's that feeling that you, know, you should not go out. If you don't need to, mm. it's as simple as that. Um, and much as, as that that time, I did not go out at all, um, and I I got no. Uh, actually, I have got the desire to go out, but I just know that I I shouldn't. Um, so um, all I actually managed to do the other week was to take a photograph of a hydrangea uh, in the garden uh, because there was plenty of ice out out there, and a, you know, a good frost. And I was thinking, there's got to be something out there worth taking, and. And I've got to say, I was actually motivated by the fact that I've got a lens that I wanted to use. So, hmm. in, so as ever, uh, it's it's gear, whether it be cameras or or lenses, uh, which is was actually the thing that took me over the edge uh, to go out. And uh, and and the reason was, and I'm I'm looking across at it now. I've, I I made uh, an adapter 
to go from a Mamiya Press uh, lens to Sony uh, to Nex. And it's uh, and, the, and this lens. I, when I when I first bought the camera, I bought the camera because it had this lens on it, uh, and um, you know, so it's a Mamiya Press 100 millimeter f 2.8, um, which is if anybody knows that system, that's it's like it's not not quite a unicorn lens, but it's 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 the probably the standout lens in the range, um, and they're very uncommon, um, and I was really lucky to to drop on this one and. I'm not really that much of a fan of using larger lenses and with a smaller sensor, but this isn't too ungainly. And and the fact that this lens has got such a good reputation, I was thinking to myself, well, what does it look like on digital? Because as we've spoke about this many times, we've uh, larger format lenses tend not to be particularly uh, high resolving lenses uh, on, on on digital. Um, and generally because they don't don't need to be because they they used to be used with much larger uh, film sizes and uh, so well, I thought well you know it's still worth the go it's still it's still education you know is this going to be rubbish or is, or is it going to be one of those lenses that surprises like I've said on a few occasions like the uh, the Bronica lenses uh, for the six four five system I think they're absolutely excellent lenses or at least the ones I've tried oh, yeah. when I've put them on. Mm-hmm. Onto uh, onto the Sony, it, it's just the fact that they're just almost like why bother though because they they're just big. You know, you can just get something smaller that will do. They'll be just as good. Um, and uh, so I thought, yeah, just give it a go. And it really performed. Um, it really was sharp. I mean, I've got a, I've only actually got one other hundred millimeter lens to, to hand that I could uh, compare it against, and that was a a Meyer Optic um, Oristor. Is it Oristor or Oristor? Uh, Oristor. Oh, God. My eyes are... Not a, not a trio fan? No, no, no. Uh, it's not Oristor. Oristor. Or, uh, 100mm f2.8. Nice little lens. Not the sharpest thing in the world. Um, but, you know, just a just a, a nice lens. And uh, it was clear that this uh, Mamiya was, was sharper. Um, mm. Not, of course, that sharpness is everything, but it's still interesting to see that a, a larger format lens could be as sharp as that. And, again, that sort of reinforced the reputation of this lens. Um, but it was because I made that adapter. I, that's that's ultimately what what made me go out there to you know does this work? Can I make, can I make this thing work? And it was okay and it even handled well as well. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, gear is a big driver for me to go out and take pictures. That's the that's the one that you shot that vintage looking photo of Flynn with, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, no, but I mean you're right. The the gear is a driver because. Um, I mean, in classic gas fashion, the, the, the recently the the thing that still gets me going in terms of like, oh man, I want all of these lenses, um, is vintage cinema lenses, and oh man, I was watching, um, there was this really stupid uh, documentary on Netflix called I think the Death of Twenty Twenty or something, um, and it was this sort of like uh, comedic look back on. 2020 with a bunch of celebrities and stuff and we watched like the first 20 minutes of it because it's terrible and super cheesy but whatever lens they're using in that uh to shoot the indoor kind of bokeh close-up scenes is spectacular and throughout those 20 minutes that we watched i kept turning to my girlfriend saying i need to know what lens they're using (laughs) you know it's some kind of cinema lens looks kind of anamorphic i want it i want it and you know i guess 
thinking about that, those those can't be used. I, I can't use those on a digital uh, on a film camera anyway. So, um, I, I've really been wanting to go out and shoot some sort of some cinematic looking stuff on digital. Uh, but number one, I, I haven't I haven't chosen subject matter because it requires you know very specific lighting and framing. But number two, I think more importantly, there's this dilemma where these cinema lenses, I they work perfectly on Fuji because they cover APS-C. I'm talking about the Cook Speed Pancros uh, now specifically. So they cover APS-C and they work perfectly on Fuji. But I just don't like the the results that much. You know, they look great, but they look very Fuji. Um, and I like them. I like the results much better on my Sony, but these lenses sort of handle and fit better on Fuji. And so I've got this dilemma where um, I could just go take the A7R II out in crop mode, which would be the logical thing to do. But something about that just feels wrong because it's like I'm handicapping the capabilities of this camera in order to shoot, uh, you know, APS-C with a full frame, like 42 megapixel Sony. And just something about that doesn't sit well with me, which I need to kind of get over and just go out and shoot the damn Sony. So, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's where we are. But I also think it's okay, right? You know, every, everyone goes through photographic ruts. And I don't even think this is a rut. Um, I, I think it's just a really strange set of circumstances that makes shooting either very difficult or, uh, I don't know, it, it, it's, it's, the the source of in, the source of like lack of inspiration i don't think is is a mystery at this point right it's not like a love of photography has disappeared it's just you look outside and either in the case of you guys you just can't go outside right cuz you're you're surrounded by covid yeah um or it's like what am, what am i going to shoot yeah. i actually i actually have this cycle pretty much every year where um probably end of end of november like into the fall in through december in, into January, I just I just don't shoot very much, and I tend to get really really interested in shooting again when the light the light tends to get really good in Chicago like end of January into February when it's also really really cold. It's like the two things go together. It gets really cold and the light gets really good, and then yeah. I want to shoot like crazy, and it's fucking freezing, you know. Yeah. Um, but but it, in a way, it makes me want to shoot more because it's more challenging. So almost without fail, every year I go through the cycle where, you know, come late January into February, I start mm. shooting a lot more again. Mm. So it's weather related. I, no, not necessarily. I think it's light related. I think I'm just I'm so in tune with the cycle of the light in Chicago, which tends to get it tends to get really gray, like late fall and early winter. And then it starts to get much brighter again. Um, you know, kind of midwinter. So I, I just kind of like when it's not sunny out, I don't want to take pictures of anything anyway. So it, I think it's more, it's more of that than anything else. Like I just, I, I stop paying as much attention because the light's bad. Does the it, light, um, the light's not interesting. Do you, do you guys get, uh, most of your snowfall around that period when the kind of light picks up again as well? I mean, we don't really get snow anymore because, you know, the earth is dead, but, in theory, um, yeah, I guess kind of. I mean, I don't know. It's weird. Um, I, I don't. There's not like directly a correlation between the snowfall necessarily, but it it seems like we have many more brighter days later in the winter. And I think that's uh -huh. an actual meteorological thing where when the when the air is really cold, there tends to be less cloud cover or something uh -huh. like that. Um, 
uh, at least that it does that here. So, yeah. yeah. So it it it's when it gets really clear again, it tends to get really cold and clear. You know. Right. Right. I mean, snow is snow is weird though because um, when I when I was in Toronto, I, I found that on snowy days when it's bright sunshine in snow, um, yeah. it's nice to be out, but aesthetically, I find it really hard to shoot in bright sunlight in snow because yeah. the shadows don't do what you want them to do. You know, there's like a natural reflector everywhere. Right. Um, so, so like the shadows get filled in too much and then you just have like this, <laughs> everything is, is either blown out or just getting that, you know, making it look as white as it is. Yeah, um, I, it, it's really tricky. I, so, like, I have this thing with orange filters. I don't. I, I I have like this weird thing where I think they they make everything look too textural. I don't know how to really describe that exactly. Uh-huh. But, but they're diff- it's different than yellow, and it's different than a red. And or- yeah. orange to me has much more of a texture enhancing look to it. So uh-huh. when it's snowy, is when I tend to use an orange filter uh-huh. because sense. because it it's like it you it, you get. Um, you get the contrast sort of like a red filter, but you get more of the texture of everything and those uh, blown out highlights or something. I'm not sure what it is. It just, it seems like it works though. Uh-huh. Cause red would be too overdramatic. Yeah. Red just is like, you know, I mean, I love, I love red filters, but in snow, I mean, it's just, it's like, it's like lift film almost. So it's like orange brings out, uh, more of the the texture and everything, and it, it mm. gives a, there's like a little more detail, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's 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 kind of the opposite here, light wise, because um, we have decent light all year. But in the winter, what happens is the the sort of surrounding monsoons switch the direction of the wind, and so even though the temperature is like perfect now. Um, and it's too hot in the summer. The winds are coming down from the north rather than blowing up from the south. Um, and so as a result, all the pollution from China just like rushes in. <laughs> so in the summer, we get sort of blue skies and, and nice weather when it's too hot. And then in the winter, we just get smog, like blankets and blankets of smog. There's less this year because factory activity is down, but it's really picking up again now. And it's it's a double-edged sword because smog on the one hand uh, is ugly, but on the other hand, it does make light look really good. Yeah, um, <laughs> right. No, it's true, man. It like it, it warms is. everything yeah. up. Yeah, it, it warms everything up. It uh, it's like every every minute of the day is golden hour. <laughs> yeah, that makes so, sense. Um, so so sometimes you know I'm, I I look at the sort of smog uh, filled light and think mm, this is like a gorgeous sunset all day. Right, I should go out and shoot it, but I also don't want to be outside. That's really funny. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. I, I I don't think there's I don't think there's anything wrong with taking breaks like that. I think it's completely healthy and normal. You know. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I expect the sort of motivation to shoot to come back naturally, but I'm a little disappointed because now is the best temperature. It's like. Oof. What's the temperature? It's like uh, 16 degrees Celsius, right? So around, what, 60 degrees Fahrenheit? Oh, that's nice, um, yeah. It's so nice. It's perfect. You know, people here are freezing their butts off, but it's it's gorgeous. Whereas <laughs> in the summer, I just, I don't know why I shoot in the summer. It's so uncomfortable. You know, two seconds outside, 
and yeah, it's like sure. 105 degrees and I'm just dripping in sweat. But for some reason, I'm shooting so much more in the summer when now would be the time to do it. So I don't know, maybe I'm just stupid. But uh, yeah, I mean, any, any, any plans on your part for either of you to, to, to do any shooting anytime soon? I've been, I've been toying with the idea for actually quite some time about doing some still life um, because I've got, I've got, um, I mean, I have a workshop now uh, because I mean, my, when I talk about making accessories and lens caps and things like that, that is actually my business now. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have a workshop. It's not completely fully operational, um, but it's, um, it's a good space. And within that space, I've got a, the ability to take photographs as well. Um, and I could jig things around and I could use a large format camera and, uh, and you know, get a, get enough distance between the object and what it is that I actually want to take. And it's something I've been meaning to do now for months. You know, so it's, uh, the, I've, I've got the means to do it. Um, but it's interesting. I, I haven't, I still haven't done it. Um, uh, but I, I have the means to do it. So it's, um, is, it is that, that, that motivational thing, but the other side of it is it's also tax month in the UK for, for me. Um, mm. so I've, 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 I have accounts to do, uh, which really any, any sane person would have had these done months ago. Uh, but I've, I thought, well, let's just wait until, uh, just a few, few days to go and then, then cram 60 hours work <laughs> into uh, a very short period of time um so uh so that that's currently my plans and that sort of par- that could be quite paralyzing at times actually so that along with lockdown and things um it's 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 tough it's 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 yeah. very very tough so uh who knows maybe that or i might just wait till february the the setup the setup that you have with a uh workshop and large format cameras i don't know to me it just screams nude selfies <laughs> perfect perfect setup for that you only want to take one as yeah. well yeah you you might think that um i might i might pass on that and just go with go with this go with the still life flower that i have planned <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair enough So, so uh, move, moving the conversation on, there've been some some other things that have have, have happened, um, and actually, I'm thinking, I'm sure some other things that really have happened. Actually, something has happened in the last 24 hours, and food you have have killed. Oh, yeah. uh, is it 400 H film? Um, yeah. Is that effectively like their version of portrait? I'm not entirely sure what it is. Yeah. Yeah, essentially, it's greener, but uh, it's their sort of equivalent. Yeah. I've I've never actually used it, but um, you know whether I've, I haven't used it or not, it's still not uh, not good to see the uh, well, the end of a film. That obviously there are people out there that are going to miss it. Yeah, it's a shame, but I mean, I, I think it was it was a, a long time coming because you know color film wise, Fuji. They're I mean, they're, in terms of color films, they really thrive on their um, I guess slide films, right? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, honestly, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. People should shoot more slide film. I, I, I've, I've every, every time I, I shoot a bunch of color film and then look at it, I'm like, Oh, this looks like shit. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's because you don't like color print film <laughs> and you should always be shooting slide film. So just shoot more slide film. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I bought a I bought a a bunch of uh, 400H a while back from a dude who was selling it in bulk, and it was mostly medium format. But um, I, I shot it alongside shot it alongside uh, Kodak uh, film and and. Oh, oh, I hear myself. I hear myself. There's echo. Yes, we, we, Houston, we have a problem. Try again. Oh? Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm not sure All if right. that made okay. you sound good or not, really, but there you go. No, I, I heard my voice coming back out of uh, Johnny's microphone because it has the little movie thing when you see the, the little squiggle when people talk. Anyway, um, I shot it alongside a bunch of Kodak films, mostly Portra, and I just like the even Ektar. And I like the Kodak films so much more in terms of their their color tone. But it is striking when you put them side by side how different they look. Um, but I, I guess the thing to say is, whenever any film dies, it's kind of it's always a shame, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, in a way, I'd <clears throat> I'd rather that Fuji produced fewer films sustainably, <laughs> um, and right that it that it's not more of an attraction for them to you know kill more um I, i'd rather that they produce fewer films and make more money at it and keep doing it than you know produce a buttload of films which i mean they really haven't been for a while but you know yeah i think i think things like bringing back across in its uh newer form was a was a really cool and like smart move on their part because i mean that's just a film that that sells like hotcakes whereas I don't even, I don't know what the sales figures are like on 400H, but to me, it's always been a when I don't have Portra, see if I can find some of this stuff. Yeah, so. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's it's their pro film. It's priced that way, um, and there's frankly, there's no market for it anymore. There's nobody shooting pro, basically. You know, so I mean, it's it, it's not like you could justify. It's harder. It was hard. It, it, they were probably looking at how much they needed to charge for it to keep making it, and it there's just not really a market for it at that price point because it's not pros buying it and expensing it. You know, right? I, I think so, they said something about how it's it's really hard for them to make now. Yeah, ex- exactly. And I mean, it, I'm sure they could have they could have kept making it, but it's like it's it's like the Jason Lane, you know conversation about lenses i mean you could make that lens it's just going to be so expensive nobody would be able to buy it i mean it's possible (laughs) you know it's the same thing Mm. so so yeah it doesn't surprise me i mean i i i I don't know i would rather like i said i would rather they just keep making a few films and i would i would trade i'm glad to trade this film for them to be able to keep making acros so right or or ilford yeah, 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 right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's you know, I don't know. Whatever. There's, there's, there's other options still. It's not like there's no other option than that than that film. Well, if it if it makes people buy other things, who knows? Yeah, it could strengthen things a little bit. I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah, I mean, it's the. I mean, it's more business, honestly, for Kodak. It's more Portra, you know. Um. So, which I mean, I I don't know. I don't have like market numbers in front of me, but I'm thinking that Portra probably outsold 400H, and they were really two competitive films, you know. Mm-hmm. For the for I mean, it, you could look at it that way. So it's it's Fuji basically backing off of, you know, a market that was probably more competitive for them that they didn't need to compete in, you know. Yeah. Well, 
that's that that's one bit of uh, of, of news and uh, the other bit of news that is in my mind i know that briefly chatted with uh, uh, perry earlier and uh, we've 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 actually we haven't really talked that much about the launch of new digital cameras uh, for a while uh -huh. i think uh, not since we did the uh, the emergency show on the z6 and the z7 um, a few years ago and uh, and then uh, i think canon brought something out not long after and we and we just couldn't be bothered um <laughs> but um there is uh, there is a, an interesting um full frame uh, digital camera that's been launched in the last uh, couple of months um, which is, I think, is worth touching upon, and that's yeah. the Sony Seven C. Um, yeah. So that's a yeah. a full frame uh, Sony with the E mount or next mount. Um, but the the interesting thing about it is is the form factor. So uh, I know Perry, you've got some thoughts on this, and so I'll uh, I'll let you go, and I'll probably chip in. Yeah, I mean, we never talked about this camera, right? Um, I mean, we don't really talk about new digital cameras that much, but and it's not a market that I care about that much. But there have been, I think, only a handful of cameras that have been released recently that have caught my eye. Um, one of them is a Sigma FP1. Uh, and then the other one is, of course, the A7C. And, I mean, in a nutshell, it's, a, it's, it's an A6300 type body with a full-frame sensor. Um, and I think it's at a lower price point too, right? Or am I, am I wrong about that? Uh, well, oh. It's going to be lower than say an A an A seven three. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, I just looked it up. It's like seventeen hundred dollars. It's eighteen hundred dollars. Oh, well, screw that. Never mind. Yeah, screw that. Uh, <laughs> no. That's that's body only. Totally screw that. Jesus. Oh man. Yeah, but that's, well, that's, that's a shame. But that's at the moment. I mean, as we as we know with these things, they they they, they come down. There's only one direction these prices yeah. are going to go, and uh, and and it'll be in production forever, uh, pretty much. Like yeah. uh, most most Sony seem to be. You know, you can. I don't. I don't know what the oldest Sony digital camera that, that that's on the market, but they probably got stuff that's out there that's be that was new in 2010. I'm guessing you can still buy brand new now. Yeah, that's true. I mean, unlike film cameras, the digital cameras, especially Sony's, they're just going to plummet in price, right? Like, I can't believe how cheap uh, some of the earlier A7 models are now in terms of what you get for the money. Um, so at some point, the A7C is going to sort of fall by the wayside and the same thing is going to happen. At which point, I, I might actually be interested in picking one up because, um, you know, size is probably the main thing that stops me from using... Well, size and the fact that it's a Sony... Uh, are the main things that, that stop me from using the A7R2 more, but something this kind of compact with a proper, it has a proper viewfinder, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I haven't looked at it in detail, but it looks pretty much the same as something like a 6300 on paper yeah. with a few, you know, with a few extra features here and there. Um, to me, that's really appealing because that size factor is significantly smaller. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, I think it's the first sort of, uh, well, no, I guess the, the Canon EOS RP is a similar idea in terms of the size and form factor, but that mount is stupid, right? So yeah. I, I, to me, this is a really appealing camera. I didn't realize the price was so ridiculous, but when it comes down, um, I don't know, it, it, it might, it might, I might look to it to either replace or supplement uh, the Fuji's as a smaller alternative to the A7. I mean, you, you wow. mentioned... I was going to say you mentioned that your your A7 Mark II has been large. Well, it's not really, is it? But it's um, I know I know 
where you where you where you're getting at there um because if you wanted to use rangefinder lenses which i'm i i guess that might be where your interest is perry uh rangefinder lenses um then yeah the form factor of the c does actually make a lot more sense than it does with um you know an, an a7 sort of uh small dslr type of uh body um so yeah so i i, well, I get that well i i actually i think i i use non-rangefinder lenses just as much on the sony because um, if it's a rangefinder lens, I can just stick it on a on like my M240, and that's a, a more enjoyable experience. Unless it's live view, this which sucks on the 240. Hmm. Um, but I, you know, we we both have this small Billingham Hadley bag, right? And when you have a lens of a certain size on the Sony, the the prism on top of the camera, and then a, a slightly larger yeah. lens makes it very awkward to fit inside that bag specifically. Correct. Right, and so the the thing that the A seven C has going for it is that prism is gone, which means sliding it into the Billingham Hadley small um, is just way way easier. And, and like that, that's quite a big draw to me. I know it's only a couple of centimeters, but like those couple of centimeters are the difference between having to find some stupid angle to shove the camera into the bag versus actually having it be able to slide in and out um, seamlessly. That, that's a that's a really good point because, I mean, that was one of the things I really liked when I borrowed uh, Jeremy North's G2 system was I, had a, I could go out with a small bag and three lenses and yeah, everything exactly. would fit in there really easily. And yep. and that will be exactly the same. Mm, that's that's that's, uh, that's interesting. I mean, so it's... And, we, and, we, and I think we'll transition to this um, about older digital cameras um, shortly because they were going to be headed in that direction. But it's, it's, I mean, I've got my Sony a7 II. It's falling apart, you know, but it just keeps on going. And I have absolutely zero um, desire uh, to, to upgrade the camera, even if I could afford, I mean, I can't afford to buy a new camera, um, but even if I could, I wouldn't be looking at an a7 III or, or whatever. But but it's 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 really intriguing about the fact that I can buy a brand new version of the camera that I bought new in 2014, I think it was uh, when I when I mm. bought my camera, um, and I'll be there thinking, well, what would I do? You know, would I just buy another one, or would I uh, perhaps? I, I think I'd, I'm sort of drawn drawn to the A7 II uh, R uh, or R2, whichever way, whichever way around it is that you've got, Perry. I've always liked that yeah. camera. And it's got a couple of little uh, things that are better. I'm not really that bothered about the extra megapixels. But there were a couple of little features in there that, that do do appeal to me about that camera. Um, but, this, but since you just talked about that form factor, yeah, I can I could really see that uh, that, that C being uh, a good camera for uh, us classic lens users. Because that's the thing. Most of these cameras, and this is the reason why I don't really care too much about the cameras that have gone on past mine, is because we generally, if we if we don't use autofocus lenses, we don't care about all the things that have gone into those cameras since, apart from maybe if you if you really want to have those extra meg megapixels or a mm -hmm. better EVF. Really, the EVF is, is probably the biggest thing that would really want to drive me towards a different camera maybe or appreciate a different camera i think actually the seven i don't think it's i don't think it's any better than the evf in my in my camera actually if i remember correctly i think it's about 2.4 million pixels but it's good enough i'm used to it and it's one of those things if you've if you've used to a better evf and you drop down then it's misery true misery 
but if you if you if you've never experienced anything better or you you've just had a, a fleeting go with it then you can cope with it and it's it's absolutely fine yeah yeah exactly and and dude the the form factor thing that you were um referring to at the beginning there that that's literally a large percentage of the reason why i, I shoot rangefinder cameras so much um because every time i grab something like a top core re super and try to shove it into my bag it doesn't fit and i give up uh and i don't carry these slrs around because they just have one dimension that is off so you know something like an om1 fits a lot better and and I guess it's kind of dumb to um, sort of fit the camera to the bag and not the other way around. But I like carrying that billing around so much that yeah. if if something won't fit into it, I just don't want to use it. So something like a Roloflex fits really well because it's it's, rect- it's you know square and it just slides in. It doesn't have any awkward dimensions. But consistently, you know, that's the thing with, thing with Fuji as well. The Fuji cameras are small enough that they fit no problem. So even though I think a lot of the times I would, with certain lenses, I would much rather be using my Sony, um, it just becomes a chore to put it into the camera, put it into the bag. And especially uh, if I want to bring other lenses, which when I'm shooting digital, I almost always want to do. Right. So it it is important. Yeah, I totally agree. And yeah, I I, I put a picture up um, today of a, of a uh, large format camera that I took, but so, I mean I am taking photographs, but I te- I'm taking photographs of gear, um, so I don't hardly really count that as uh, going out and taking photos. Um, but I was looking at that that shot, and there's there's nothing about that image that I'm thinking. You know what? That sensor, you know, in fact, actually the sensor predates the A7 II. So it came out with the A7, the original A7. It's the same sensor except it's got IBIS. And uh, and I, I look at what that's producing, and I also look around at what other people are producing. I'm thinking, no, I'm I'm not I'm not seeing any improvement um, that that would make right. a difference to me with the with the with the latest and greatest sensors that are coming out there. Yes, there's going to be better dynamic range, and you know, and if I want to shoot at at sixty four thousand, I'll have less noise. Well, I just don't do any of those things. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, so it, it just it doesn't mean anything to me. Um, but this this sort of leads on to what we were talking earlier about. Will there be a day? And I, I I'm going to say this, and then you can take over again, Perry. But yeah, will there be a day where there are classic digital cameras? Yeah. So that is the question, right? It's 2021 now. Um, it has been 20 year 20 years ago. Canon released its first DSLR, the D30. Right, which by no means is the first digital camera, but that was the start of, you know, at, at least for me, that was the start of the proper digital era when Canon started releasing DSLRs. Um, and looking back, you know, in in the sort of snobby world of Leica, there is a very strange uh, consensus that the M9 is somehow a classic-looking digital camera because of the CCD sensor um, and its colors, which I think is is BS. But um, it's just it's, it's people's way of justifying, you know, a corroding sensor. But <laughs> the M9 and, and that issue aside, that is the question. You know, are there any digital cameras that we would that you would consider classic or will digital cameras ever fall into that same kind of, uh, you know, e- ethos with which we look at classical lenses? Can I just say right off the top, there is a classic digital camera collectors group on facebook by the way so it's it's people are it's already a thing 
But sure. what do they collect? Are they collecting like the vintage, you know, um, the the cameras that are old but no one uses because they're unusable, or yeah. are they like are they five Ds and stuff? No, no, it tends to be the older, older the better, and the jankier the better, you know. Um, so I mean, it's 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 a thing, uh, but I mean, it, I. I mean, I don't think it's gonna be. I don't think it's gonna be a thing long term because having worked in a camera shop, <laughs> anything more than ten years old is just—it's borderline unusable because the, probably it has a battery that's not made anymore, and you uh-huh. can't—you know—I mean, you can you can improvise chargers, but it's really tough when the batteries start disappearing, which they do. Um, Wait, so it's. it's I was going to say that, that there's the other thing is about the you know, the the memory format that it takes. I mean, I I, I talked right. about this yeah. a while back where I took some photographs on a on a, an Agfa digital camera that uses a <laughs> uh, a smart smart media card, and yeah. uh, and I I still haven't seen the photographs that I took on it. Yeah. I know I know that I, I was so wishing I actually had a a proper camera because the lighting was amazing. Um, and yeah. and looking at and looking at the scene on the the LCD on the back of this this this, this camera with I, I think two hundred and fifty six pixels, um, <laughs> and it, even even that looked great. And then I also then found out that I was I was taking the these photographs in um, in like a, some kind of space saving mode, so I wasn't using the full resolution of this zero point eight megapixel <laughs> camera. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, I mean, I, but the the thing is, somebody had to. Uh, uh, Paul Bullock, in fact, has, has lent me an old XP uh, Windows XP computer so that I can actually get the uh, the the information off this uh, off this card, so I can actually see the pictures. Yeah, and some of the memory cards. This is hilarious. Some of the memory cards for these old cameras. I mean, they cost more than like, you know, a, a modern. Uh, SD card <laughs> because they're because nobody makes them anymore. Like some of the old memory stick stuff, it's just yeah, it's ridiculous. And you know, if people that that like it, you know, we would get people that come into Central Camera that would be like, oh, I really need a memory card for my my camera. I'm traveling. It's like all right, and they have this you know 12 year old camera that's barely working, and and then it's like yeah, all right, that that the the memory card's going to be 50 bucks for it and they shit their pants. Oh, and they probably need a battery too because their battery won't take a charge anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they don't, they don't they forgot their charger. So then they can buy a battery, a charger and a and a uh, a memory stick and they're going to spend like 200 bucks. <laughs> I mean, it's insane. So it's like the, these things have a these things have a lifespan to them based on just being able to power them up and put pictures on them. Mm-hmm. You know. That yeah, said, that- I have in front of me, in my hand, my very first digital camera, which is a Sony Cybershot. Uh, I don't know what model it is, but it's a 7.2 megapixel with a Vario Tessar. And I took so many pictures I loved with this kid. This is the camera I got before I bought um, my first Canon DSLR. Mm-hmm. And I, I still love these cameras. Matter of fact, I'm now I'm now I'm thinking I'm going to take this camera out. I'm going to power it up, and I'm going to take. Pictures. Is that one of those really thin ones that can like slide into a shirt pocket? It's no, it's not that thin. It's more, it's more, it's shaped like a. Um, it's square on one end and it's really rounded on the other, and the lens is way over on one end. Uh huh. Um, and I've actually, I actually have two or three of them because I, you know, I started grabbing them at Central Camera after a while because I'm like, oh, I love these things. So I have a black one around here too. Um, 
but they're great. I mean, they're 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 awesome. Like just throw in your pocket shit digital cameras, you know, with a with a really nice lens. I love the shots I got out of these things. So I I mean they're they're still fun to use, you know. It's just as long as you've got a battery that works and you've got a you've got something to store the photos on, you know, why not? But I mean, eventually they're going to, they're all going to die. They're just, I mean, all, I I know I've said it before, like all, all digital cameras are disposable. I mean, they're made to Mm -hmm. be used for a little while and replaced with something newer. They are just even, even, even like us. I know people don't want to admit it, but it's true. They're all disposable. So they just, they're not going to last forever. You're supposed to get your value out of them while you use them and then get a new one. Yeah, that that to me is the the thing that um, the reason why I don't think digital cameras will ever be classic in the way that film cameras and lenses are because they lack yeah. that longevity, right? With the yeah, electronics, totally. they're gonna yeah. die. The same is with electronic film cameras, to be honest. Oh sure, yeah, it's it's not really any different. I mean, it's the same problem. It's you know? the the mechanical electronic distinction is the sort of yeah. relevant part yeah, for me, for right? Sure. Simon sounds like he's like itching to jump in here. Well, I, I, I like old electronic cameras. Um, it's as simple as that. Um, but yeah, they're great, but they're going to die. Yeah, they, they 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 will. And I think the key there is just making sure you don't pay silly money for them, like you buy your your contacts T three or whatever it is. Um, mm. That you you have you just simply don't know if it's going to work tomorrow, um, and that's just it's 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 just daft. Um, but it. it it does also apply with um, I mean, when you're talking about batteries and things. I just I remember once um, coming across a I think it was an Olympus point and shoot camera, and it was in perfect condition, and it almost held a charge. And I was thinking, oh, this is this is this is promising, and then I found out that the actual battery in it was um, uh, workshop replaceable or whatever the term is, service service center replaceable battery. I'm thinking, what what? Really, I mean, I mean, it was. It's, I think it was rechargeable. Um, <laughs> that was that was a good thing. But uh, but yeah, once it, once I went, you'd have to send it off to Olympus to get a new one. It's just, uh, just yeah. nuts. Some of the decisions that, uh, that 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 were made. I mean, I took the battery out, thinking, "Well, oh, can I do something with it?" And and I saw it, and I thought, "No, no, I can't." Um, but wow. um, yeah, the decisions of. Uh, and, and disposable cameras certainly were with and problems with batteries and electronics going back to like mercury batteries and so on um they go back a a, a long way uh, with these things but i think there is something to be said about some old digital cameras i mean i'll, I'll look back at some of the digital photographs i i took because i i i left uh film in about 19 early 90s i i i stopped taking photographs full stop and then i think i bought myself a bridge camera i got a uh an olympus eight uh, c8080 8080 um <laughs> yeah. w, cw i think so it's got a it was a wide angle zoom and you know i can look back at the photographs that i took with that especially with like my kids um and and especially if i took those photographs in good light and they still look they're still looking good now um, fortunately mm-hmm. I've not lost them on my hard drive and, but you know, some of them are printed out, although they probably faded and, and so on. Um, but they, they're, they're absolutely fine. There's not, there's just nothing wrong with them. I think sometimes we just go over the top, uh, with, you know, we talk about pixel peeping and things like that, but you know, that was an eight megapixel camera, 
uh, I think I had a Fuji, like a ver vertical Fuji camera that was designed by Porsche or something like that, or uh, the one that came after it with, with interpolated pixels. That took great photographs as well. You know, mm -hmm. so uh, it's, it's, it's that thing about uh, getting obsessed by the tech and actually forgetting about what actually matters and it's about what the actual photograph looks like and, you know, in good conditions with a decent lens and all digital camera will produce good results. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the the first digital camera I ever had was a, I think a Canon PowerShot A80 or something, um, something along those lines. And you know, the first photo I ever had published in a student magazine, um, I shot with that, and I was pretty happy with it. Uh, and that camera took AA batteries, which uh, you know maybe makes it a good candidate for a classic. But it yeah. it fell apart. Um, I used it so much that, you know, it's mostly made of plastic. I used it so much that it literally fell apart. Uh, I think that the, the grip fell off and then things just started falling off left, right and center. Um, but I mean, looking, looking back at, uh, certainly some of the classic Canon, well, some of the older Canon DSLRs, I do, I do look at cameras like the original 1D, maybe the 10D or 20D, uh, maybe not the 5D, but I, I look at those cameras and I think, hmm. When I pick one up, I still don't. I don't. I guess because the form factor hasn't evolved that much. Like they still feel like pretty contemporary cameras. They're still very capable. You know, like if if you handed me a a twenty D, it wouldn't feel like an old camera to me. I still you know, have even my though 20, I still have my twenty D. <laughs> yeah, well, clearly you you hoard everything. I can't believe you have the first digital camera you ever had. That that's nuts to me. Does it still work? Yeah, it works. Works great. Holy crap! Yeah, I mean, why would I get rid of it? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, why? I I, I had no problem getting. Come on. Well, yeah, right. But I, I mean, I had no problem getting rid of my DSLRs when I switched to Fuji. But why? Why would I get rid of this thing? It's just. I mean, if I ever need a junker, I mean, I could. I can throw this camera at a five-year-old and say, "Here, take some pictures." You know. Mm -hmm. That's part of why I kept them. Actually, is so the kid could could mess around with them. But oh, that uh, makes sense. Yeah. But no, I mean my twenty D, that thing old, those things, those things that that's when they actually like weren't they didn't build them for shit. Like they went after the like the five D and the twenty D, they just continued to go consistently downhill <laughs> in terms of like quality. Mm. <laughs> so I mean all those old all that I mean the same thing with the Nikons. It was it like the D three hundred or the D ninety? I mean those things are gonna last forever because they actually built them really well because they were the market was so competitive then, you know? So it's like the, the, the older generation Canons and Nikons are, they're like rock solid. Those things will just keep going. Like the original 5D will just keep going. Yeah, mine still works. I still, I, it's the only DSLR I own and it's, it's yeah. it, I, I've never felt a need to upgrade it. But it's, it's interesting right. to say that because I think there is something about that generation when I think of the likes of, you know, the 1DS Mark II, um, yeah. 1D Mark IIn, 20D and 30D, like after yeah. the 30D, when the kind of 40D was introduced, totally. Yes, some of that magic disappeared. But yeah. maybe it was just it was a mixture of novelty as well, because the leap in quality between like the 1D original 1D and like 20D, and the right. first Rebel, the, the leap in quality between that and the sort of second gen, right? Right. Like if you put yep. a 20D and a 10D next to each other, it, it the 20D is like light years ahead of the 10D. Right, totally. But then after the 30D, um, and certainly the, the the 5D Mark II, it, it's kind of it's pretty incremental at that point, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's I, true. I mean, it, it, it was it was that thing though that era of of cameras. They were like it was like every new, you know, one megapixel bigger sensor was a reason to like buy a whole new camera. You know, because right. the, the ISO performance was so much better. I mean, I was I was in that horrible cycle because I was shooting commercially then and i i mean i bought a 20d and then i bought a 30d and then i bought two 40ds and then i bought two 70s mm-hmm. because I, I was like using them for business stuff and they 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 the the megapixel and iso performance jumped so much between each generation of cam- i mean it was a i fucking think of the money i wasted on that shit now and i just it just kills me <laughs> you know because i i mean i the 70s sucked i hated this the 70 mark one piece of shit i mean that sensor it took uh, it, the dynamic range of that sensor took a noticeable drop even from the 40d so i basically bought two of them and sold them back almost right away and just started shooting the 40ds again i hated that camera because i mean it was like the first one where they were really diving into video it was really it was really for the video it was the first DSLR that Canon made where the video capability was a bigger deal than the still capability. And they I mean, they shorted on the still capability on that camera to give it the video, you know? Um, so, but, oh man, garbage. I'm, oh, I'm, garbage. I'm, I'm curious now because I, it, this, this era, I pretty much completely checked out of photography. And I'm just wondering, were people adapting classic lenses to Canon DSLRs like, you know, I, many people do now? That I mean, that was my gateway into shooting classic lenses again. Actually, was mm-hmm. I, I hated the autofocus lenses so much on the EOS system that I was like, you know, I used to actually like taking photos <laughs> when I didn't have to chase a f- focus point around my viewfinder. I used to actually like taking photos, mm-hmm. so I was like, you know, I can put my I can put M forty two lenses on here, and that was the first thing I ever did was through M forty two lenses on my Canon DSLR. And then I realized, Oh wow, this viewfinder sucks balls because it wasn't meant for manual focus. It was assuming you would never manual focus anything. Cause why would you do that? So it's got the shitty viewfinder because you don't need a good viewfinder if it's autofocus. So then I was like, wow, this really blows. It's great to have a real lens again, but this camera sucks for manual focus. So that, and that's exactly how I got to the Fuji's. Because, because I could have a, a camera that worked with manual lenses again and a, and a better viewfinder. And yeah. Everything fell into place then, you know? Yeah, I, I, think, I think in answer to Simon's question, that the very similar thing with me, you know, um, with the newer, after the sort of 40D, every increment of digital camera seemed yeah. to primarily market itself as an updated autofocus system as well as totally. the megapixels and stuff. Yeah. And, you know... A, I was perfectly content with the 5D, but B, I found that, you know, when the focus was so much on, no pun intended, on the autofocus system, it anything that wasn't quite perfect was annoying. Like, I had a 1D Mark III at one point, and I loved that camera. And then I went on to, like, DP review and started reading everyone crapping on its autofocus system. <laughs> and I was like, oh, crap, this thing back focuses when it's in, like, continuous focus mode. Oh, no, it's unacceptable. Oh. Get rid of it. Even though that, I think that's one of the best cameras I ever used. But... The same thing for me, you know, when I when I discovered that the 5D, when the Canon system, when I discovered that the Canon system had a shorter flange distance, um, one of the first things I did was I picked up uh, SMC Takamar 55 1.8 that I still have, yeah, and I adapted it to the 5D, and I when I when I found that. 
there's a specific focusing screen for manual focus lenses. Um, I bought that screen and, and I, I liked it for, even for the EOS lenses because I yeah. like being able to see uh, the plane of focus much more clearly than on um, the sort of stock DSLR focusing screens. Right. But uh, that setup still works great for me. And I think the uh, the 5D with that focusing screen is is lovely. And it doesn't have like, you know, autofocus points all over the place to distract you as well. Right. So, yeah. And, and I was adapting stuff to the Canon uh, 5D platform up until, you know, I got my first mirrorless camera as well. So yeah. same kind of thing. That, yeah. make, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. And it wasn't even for it wasn't even for the vintage look um, back then, or it wasn't even like oh these old film lenses I can kind of bring them back to life. No, it was more right. just like oh these are cheap as hell. Right? Yeah, I mean, and, that and was, a little different. That was my other thing: is the the fifty the the Canon fifty one point four, just the the basic one, is a piece of crap. It's <laughs> built crap. The optics are crap. It's a piece yeah. of shit and i hate that lens so much and i broke three of them i broke three of those lenses yeah. and because that focus motors in them were like there was nothing to them i mean i had i had one of those lenses fall <laughs> off a chair a chair onto a yeah, shag man. carpet that's a foot and a half and it and it destroyed the focus motors and i was like yeah. screw this so then and as soon as i put a like a 51 for tacomar on there i'm like this this blows the Canon lens away <laughs> image quality wise, you know? Yeah. So I, yeah, those, those, uh, Oh man, the, the Canon 50 mils, the 1.8 is just like this toy. Yeah. Um, and I remember I, I have, I have all of them. I do like the 1.2. I like, the, I like the 1.2 a lot, even though it can't focus properly. Yeah. But the 1.8 um, is actually a really nice lens for the money. It's cheap as hell. And it's optically. It's yeah. But I mean, 50... y- you've seen them fall apart as well. I, right? Oh yeah. But I mean, I would tell people, literally not to buy the 51.4 but i mean there is no reason to own that lens i think that lens is a piece of crap as well it's a piece of crap and the only reason to own it is to shoot it at 1.4 and it blows at 1.4 so just get the 1.8 for 125 dollars and be done with it (laughs) and no just to crap on the 1.4 more this is the canon ef one yeah Yeah. the build build quality is terrible the focus ring is like it's horrible there's nothing enjoyable about using that thing Um, and it doesn't even have like the ultrasonic motor, and so when oh. it's autofocusing, it's like <laughs> it's a horrible lens. It's a horrible yeah. lens. That, that lens. That's, that, that's what it, that really was my inspiration <laughs> to start doing manual. That's why I'm speaking to you on the podcast today. Is that but, piece of shit 51.4 EF Canon? Thanks, Canon. But the 1.8 has a classic version, right? Where like people seek out the one with the metal mount, the first version. Yeah, it does because it's, it's not this plastic toy that just, you know, I've, I've had a couple of those 1.8s and a few of them, the front has just fallen off, you know, yeah. like all the elements have fallen away from the that, autofocus. That system. will happen. Yes. It's like, oops. That's happened. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the real, the real bargain though is, I have to say, is the 40 millimeter lens. That 40 millimeter EF lens is awesome. The new one? The like pancake one? The little pancake one. It, oh, that, I, have that, I have that lens. It's lovely. It's it's awesome. And it's cheap. It's again, it's like $125. That is a great lens. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fantastic Yeah, lens. I think I gave it to my brother, but that lens is, is, is fantastic. Yeah. Yep. Really nice. Now, I've I've been... I don't know if I'm just confusing it now with, um, with, with Nikon, but I was under the impression... That optically, the EF one point four was the same as 
the FD before it, and and therefore the same as the FL, uh, but just with constant changes. I cannot imagine how that's possibly true. No, I can't, that can't imagine be the case. No, first of all, I mean, I think, well, I don't know if it's all glass or not. I think it's all glass. I know the the, the 518s, some of them are plastic, but I think the 514 is all glass at least, but there's it, there's just no way. Or, okay, here here this could be the other thing, I think, Simon, is that optically it might be the same, but build quality-wise, it's such a piece of shit. That yeah, it's, it's so bad. That right, exactly. So optically, it might technically be the same optics, but there's no way you get that performance out of it. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and, th- and that goes back to again second time of today's show we're mentioning Jason Lane. Um, yes, and uh, he's he's made it very very clear that optical performance um, is <laughs> is not just about the optics; <laughs> not, it's about yeah. the body that it sits in as well, and the tolerances <laughs> within that body. Yeah, totally. And and I, I have to believe that's the problem with that. I mean, I'm, I'm not even kidding you. When I first got one of the first really, really classic lenses I bought, you'll love this, Simon, was a, you know, 1955, a little tiny uh, Carl Zeiss Tessar, the 52.8. And it, I mean, that lens destroys the image quality of the Canon 51.4 EF at any stop, at any aperture except 2.8. Where it glows a little bit, right? Yeah. But I mean, any aperture. I just I couldn't believe the first time I shot that lens how how it stomped on the Canon lens, the modern Canon lens, right? Yeah. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and and you know the the FD lenses they feel like proper lenses because the the other thing about that fifty one point four EF is it it it's, it straddles this weird midpoint between like this the yeah. plastic fantastic one point eight and then the sort of L line, right? So, has the features of the high-end lenses, but none of them feel good. So, right, for example, right, right. Um, you know, one of the more desirable elements of the higher-end lenses is that they have full-time manual focus, right? Yeah. Where you can just you turn the focus ring, and at any point you can manual focus without having to switch yeah. it. Yeah, um, exactly. But, but on the fifty-one point four, you know, it it that that thing just it turns into sand. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's hor- it's it's like it's like jerking off with sand. Yes. Thanks for thanks for the analogy, Perry. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Every single one I've tried, it just it it, it feels like they're, there's sand yeah, inside. They're horrible. I I mean, honestly, I don't even think the L lenses feel that good. But compared, they feel to, way better than this thing. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah don't don't buy that lens. <laughs> and then the, and then there's so many reviews online that say like, oh, this is the one Canon lens you should buy, the fifty one point four. And, and I remember that because it was such a hyped lens. You know, it was like, oh, you got to have a prime lens. You can't only have zoom lenses. Right. Um, and right. the 1.8 is this plastic thing that's going to break apart, which is true. It's like, so you got to get the 1.4. I think that. And, and it was like. It, it must have been because those people had affiliate links on their site because, you know, go and buy this $450 lens rather than this $125 lens is actually better. That can be the only explanation for right. that review. Or, or you just get sucked into the cult of Canon because, you know, you know, brand fanboyism was totally a thing back then as well. Right. And so when your choices are the 1.8, the 1.4, and the 1.2, then you right. can make a reasonable case there, right? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I guess, I don't, I guess so. I mean, I, you know, I think this is, this is a really old conversation though, because I think going way back, the 1.8 lenses were always the value lens. And I honestly, I think they almost always outperform the faster lens anyway. Oh, totally. 
Absolutely. So I, I think it's a really old, I think the 1.4 thing is this is just, it's marketing going back a long, long way. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, you're just fine with the F2. You really are. <laughs> but, but you get convinced you need the faster lens, I guess. Something like that. Because you do. You do yeah. the faster lens, and that's right. uh, um, and that's that's all there is to it. And I think on that uh, note, that where we're all in agreement, uh, we should start to uh, wind things down. But I said it was going to be a short show. And, uh, Good call. Yeah. Like it just turned stroke of five p.m. here. Exactly. Ex ex exactly. Really well done. Really well done. Yeah. Nate. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so um, Perry, um, outside of this, actually, no, no. You give just give you a shout out. Any shout outs, Perry? Shout out. Uh, no. Oh, I do one shout out just to my brother because it's his birthday. Um, so happy birthday. Happy birthday, brother. His, his name is Lawrence. Oh, there you go. And, uh, and Johnny, have you got any shout outs? I do, actually. I remember him this week. So um, I shout out to Christopher J. May, who um, he donated a Petri to my Petri Rangefinder collection. Uh, so he actually stopped by and I had a, I had a socially distanced chat with, with Christopher a week ago or so, which was awesome. And he, he, he donated a Petri, uh, range finder that he was not using. Um, and, and, and I, you know, he's mainly, he's, you know, he's an eight by 10 guy now he's mainly shooting like eight by tens. And then he's got, I think he's got a Roloflex and he's got, um, oh, he got a new, um, a Nikon. So he's got a Nikon, you know, full frame. What is it? The Z6 or Z7? Oh, and no, not not an 850 then. No, no, no. Say it'll, be in, it'll be insufferable if he if he had one of those. Yeah, he would be insufferable. <laughs> Christopher J. May, he's many things, but he's definitely not insufferable <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Um, but anyway, he so he he has the new um, the new Nikon, and we were chatting about lenses, and I know he he recently got the. Uh, the H Nikkor, the 50 F2, which I, again, you know, top of my list is one of the best 50 millimeter rangefinders lenses ever. Anyway, he, he got that one. So he's messing around with that. Um, so shout out to, uh, to Christopher. It was good to see you. And thanks for the, thanks for the Petri joining the family. Um, that was super cool. And what else? I'll give a shout out to my dad. It would have been, uh, let's see, his 50, Oh my God, he told me 57th, 50 something wedding anniversary yesterday. Oh, wow. Uh, would, have, would have been. Um, uh, my mom's passed away. But anyway, that was, that was, that was cool to, to chat with him real quick. So shout out to the old man. Um, so, uh, Perry, outside of this show, how can people follow the things that you do? Do, do you have zero si shout outs, Simon? Oh, I, um, yeah, I did a, I did a podcast earlier on with a shout out. I was quite proud of myself. Um, <laughs> and, uh, if I have, I've completely forgotten. So, uh, yeah, we'll just, we'll, right. just, we'll pass on that one and, um, pretend that didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah. so, uh, Perry, Perry, yes. How can people uh, do things with you? <laughs> you? You can find me on Instagram and Flickr at, uh, Perry G. I'm not posting a lot <clears throat> at the moment just cause I, I don't have a uh, film developed. And I'm also not posting a lot on uh, in the Facebook group right now, primarily because social media is a little bit scary in Hong Kong right now. Just, just FYI. Um, <laughs> so I, I need to gauge sort of safety before I like post anything publicly as well. 
Oh, you know um, what? You've just reminded me there, there is a shout out that we uh, we need to give as a podcast, actually, and that's to uh, Bernard uh, in the in our Facebook group. Um, Bernard's actually didn't Bernard win a uh, he, he won a, he won a he won he won the forty mil uh, Conica, didn't he? Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. I said, well, uh, Bernard's been looking for us uh, because he's been worried about us, and uh, we 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 haven't been. Uh, around because we've all been quiet in the facebook group and i'm just trying to find the post but uh but he i think he actually he certainly i don't know if he actually made a video but he was certainly commenting over over the over on the on a on a video um and he was um effectively having a conversation with himself um in the comments as well um wondering where we were um so um yeah we're we're we're, we're back and we'll do this again um so where's uh, bernard spurling uh, thank you very much for that appreciate that and, and who was it that drank malort oh uh, christa brandt but it wasn't real malort that, that's it it was it wasn't no, he, real he, malort no he, he drank well, he like was, top but... shelf top shelf actual liquor <laughs> yeah, like Swedish, Swedish Malort. Like the yeah, like the real stuff, not not yeah. the, not the Malort garbage. I think he is Swedish as well. So yeah, I think genetically, we had this conversation he, quite a while. Like this was not a new thing, right? I mean, yeah. it could have been, he uh, posted just, a video. Yeah, well, that well, the video was like six months ago as well. So we we might have yeah. even spoke about oh. it. But I, I did I completely forgotten about it, and I thought, oh wow, look at this. And then, uh, and, but yeah, I was disappointed you know, to see that he, you, he drank the genuine stuff, not the. Do, uh, do you know why you forgot about it, Simon? Why? Because you've never actually drank Malort. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta send those bottles bottles off to you guys that that's got to happen sometime soon the, the live live malort tasting yeah take take your time um, yeah right and uh, <laughs> i just realized just oh I've, I've hardly been in the group at all and there, there are there are multiple uh, posts on there wondering where on earth we are so um, we, we love you all we're back um um yeah so 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 there's that um okay uh johnny how can people yes. find you or porch? Um, <laughs> you can do that. That is actually the best way to contact me right now is to show up on my porch. You know, six feet away from me on my porch or whatever. Um, yeah. Because you're not gonna you're not gonna find me anywhere else. That's the only place it's gonna happen right now. Um, I did want to leave two two uh, final final thoughts. Um, oh, did I already forget one of them? <laughs> well, the, all right, the first one. <laughs> I think I, I think I already forgot one of them. Um, I did. I totally forgot one of them. Anyway, the first one was. Well, was just it the real second? Quick on the way out. No, this is the first one. Maybe I'll remember the second one if I talk about the first one. How many? How many APS-C uh, cameras do you think, in the same form, fa form factor of this new, um, what is it, A7C? Mm -hmm. How many APS-C cameras do you think Sony still has in their lineup in that form factor? Just off the top of your head. I mean, what would be your guess? What would be a logical number of cameras? That like as in still, on? you can still buy a that new? You can still buy still. that are still in their catalog and you well, can still buy. Just, I think you can still get the 6,000, I think. So 6,000? 6,300? 6,300 is still available, right? You, well, if the six thousand is. is, I would have thought so. Um, and then you got the sixty. Is there a sixty-four 65? and a sixty-five? You can still get. Hold on a second. I don't, could say, not a, don't say there's a next seven still or something. No, like that. you can still get a fifty-one hundred. They have eight 
Count them, eight, eight. APS, eight, APS-C sensor, A5000 series cameras. And by that, I mean all the five and all the sixes. Eight ca- this is why these camera companies are so fucked up. They have like their their beam counters have all these little slivers of markets where they're going to sell twelve cameras next year. I was going to guess three. It's ridiculous. And that seemed that's that seemed excessive. I Whoa. mean, I just say bad things about Nikon, but that's ridiculous. You guys, that's, stop making all these stupid cameras. How do you? That's think gonna- too many. <laughs> it's it's absurd. I don't, I, don't the A6000, I, don't, I don't think though. I remember my second thing. Yeah, I think the A six thousand is a good camera. I remember. That, well, yeah, I mean that's the part of the problem. It's such a good camera that nobody wanted to upgrade to anything. That's like probably why they finally had to do a full frame version of it to give these people some reason to hmm. to upgrade. <laughs> yeah, it didn't come to me. Sorry. Okay. Uh, Lost next, it. next time, and probably, probably uh, wasn't that important. Yeah. So. Uh, actually, while this is in my my mind, before it drops out like a sieve, before I come back to you, Johnny, uh, is uh, next week um, we'll probably I say next week. Who knows? Next week, week after, whichever. But next time, next time, um, we we ha- we have emails that we'll uh, we can we don't have too many that we can't get through in a single episode. So uh, let's um, we're going to try and get through those emails, and then after that, we'll find a guest to talk to. Um, so I've remembered that. Uh, those two things um, back to Johnny and um, just in case you remember, remember the second thing wait hold on let me just let me focus for like five seconds and maybe it'll come to me talked about the Sony talked about my front porch nope it's not there sorry yeah. <laughs> wedding anniversaries wedding anniversaries nope it's not there I can't remember what it was okay I'll remember after we're off the podcast Okay. Um, yeah. So if somebody wants to write into the show, what's the best way of doing that? Uh, Classic Lenses Podcast at gmail.com for the emails. Um, let's see, Instagram. Um, check out Best Vintage Lens, of course. Uh, check out the Classic Lenses Podcast website for all the old episodes and the swag. And what else? What else? What else? I don't know. That's enough. Anything else? Oh, um, you can go to, you can, you can look this bullshit up on YouTube too. Yes. If you want to do that. Yeah. If it, if it carries across, it doesn't always carry across. Right. You know, when it feels like it. Exactly. Um, Oh, Oh, Johnny, I'll ask you, um, I'll ask you live on air because I've already forgotten to ask you this uh, several several times now. Um, And that is this podcast is disappearing uh, on a weekly basis on Apple iTunes or whatever, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is that's, that's used over there. Um, and that is because uh, Podbean, our host, has arbitrarily sets it up so that you it, it only sends over to um, people um, 100 episodes. Oh. So every time we do an episode, one is effectively removed from Apple. Really? Yeah. Um, so oh, I. Oh, that's really nice of Apple, isn't it? it well, no, 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 no. It's uh, the, for this time. It's not actually Apple's fault. Uh, much okay. as I like to blame Apple and Fuji for everything, <laughs> um, it's it's not them or Fuji for that matter. Um, okay. And um, but I I did actually try to go into the settings and I couldn't make it work uh, because it kept asking for an RSS two feed. Which oh, as soon as I'll I tried to change poke, it, I'll poke around in there. Exactly. So I, I remembered. Thought, I remembered. Sorry, there you go. go ahead. Go ahead. 
Uh, we will. I will look around and see if I can figure out why it's doing that. Cool. Yeah. So Perry, I know. I. I. You. you I have the solution for your problem. You what, just what? need to go on which, Chinese which parlor. Which one? He has many. <laughs> his his social media problem. Just go on Chinese parlor. <laughs> It, so I, I know I said this to you guys privately. It annoys me so much that you guys, Americans specifically, pronounce that app parlor. I mean, even if that's the way that the people who made the app want to pronounce it, yeah, they're, they're wrong. Clearly, it's it's French, right? Like parler to to speak. Like parler, yeah, yeah. So so I, the, 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 that that irritates me to no end. I mean, all the kind of like right wing extremism and like Nazi stuff. Right. Yeah, that that's bad. But, but pronouncing it parlor is worse. The name of this app is clearly an homage to the French to speak. So for the love of God, if you're going to use this app to like, you know, do whatever it is Nazis do, just like pronounce it properly, right? So yeah. now nah, that's my freedom app. I'm not pronouncing it like no Frenchman. It's my freedom app. I, I th- my freedom I, of speech app. Exactly. I thought we've uh, we sort of put this one to bed with um, when <laughs> when <laughs> when when uh, Hamish told us that story about walking into a camera store and he started calling a, a Carl Zeiss Yena lens Yena and and sort of you know him and the uh, the guy behind the desk and I say why why is everybody calling this Yena all of a sudden and it's, <laughs> yeah and uh, yeah we were partially responsible for that so um, which now means I don't actually know how to say that word anymore. Uh, Wait, I just, so I just you, should they be calling it parlay? Oh no! I was yeah. talking, I was talking about the J word uh, in Germany, oh, the, J the, word. the, the yeah. river. Yeah, but yes to yes to both. Yeah, parlay. No, that doesn't work, Perry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> that that doesn't that doesn't work for a uh, under the radar, not really under the radar, you know, white supremacist private chat. Well, no man a, a parlor is a place where you go get your nails done you go get a massage or you know a uh english midfielder from the arsene wenger era but right I, that, that's, but the, I think that's the, kind of that's kind of the point though of why it's called parlor it's like a meeting place where you talk about white supremacy well in, in, like, it's like it's like a white supremacy tea parlor yeah. Well, in in parts, I mean, it's gone out of it's gone out of uh, fashion now. But uh, certainly, uh, where I am in the the North Midlands and uh, probably the North of England as well, um, if you lived in a terraced house, um, then uh, your front room uh, would you, oh. if anybody would walk oh, yeah. into, into the front room uh, into the house, they would walk through the room itself. Was um, you know some some rooms out would have some houses would have a hallway, but plenty of them around here wouldn't have wouldn't have a hallway, and you would walk through the front room to to the to the living room, which is the uh, like the, you know, the the second room, and they would walk through the parlor, which is pretty yeah. much <laughs> like a showroom of you know, just 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 how how sophisticated and um and the height of taste um that, yeah. you, that people would have and nobody that lived in the house would ever be able to sit in right, the right. chairs or anything like that That's we, the we have that we have the chicago equivalent of that actually it's called the french room yeah the french room no like french oh okay, oh, okay. like french room 
there you, there it's like go. front room and French room or something. I, I mean, it's it's the same, but it's yes, Simon. It's the same totally bogus, like bougie idea of, you know. But actually, what we've now learned is it's actually the the white supremacist room. It's the, the white supremacist. So yeah. one one more story. When I lived in Quincy, Massachusetts, which out there you have to go like Quincy, like Z with a Z, but it's spelled like Quincy because it's where our first and second president of the United States were from uh, John Quincy Adams and John Adams. But um, uh, in Quincy, Massachusetts, <laughs> there was uh, this, <laughs> it was, it was like a house, right? And, and, and they had a, on the first floor, I got to look this up in Google maps now, but like on the first floor, like, obviously the husband and wife had their own ideas about what they wanted to do as a like home business kind of thing, you know, like if you had a B and B or whatever. So the, 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 the wife had a tea shop and the husband had a gun, a gun shop. So you'd go by this, you'd go by this, this building that looked like a, just a house and it would say gun shop and tea room. And it was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I don't know. I don't think I ever went in the tea shop. I'm pretty sure I went in the gun shop, though. <laughs> All right. Well, well, there we go. Let's 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 try and go. Um, <laughs> and um, it was almost like an outtake in the middle of the show there. Um, and wait, we didn't talk about maple syrup yet. Oh, that's gonna have to wait for another time now. All right, next time. Um, so, so last last thing, Simon. So the, the par- your 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 British parlor. Is uh, what we would call the vestibule, right? The um, vestibule doesn't. The vestibule sounds like a body part. It sounds like it sounds. No, like it's like the little the little entrance room into a house or a space. Like when you open the front door, it's the first little the vestibule. I think that's an urban dic. That's like slang for vagina in Urban Dictionary. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> the vestibule. <laughs> We really should go. Uh, we really should go. Yeah. We're going to start talking about vestibular body parts now. Yeah. And Vestigial body parts. Yeah. And um, and I, I don't think, have I mentioned, yeah, um, I can be yeah, found go. On, on Twitter as Simon4. Um, I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic, which is also the name of my website where you can buy lots of lens caps and things like that. Um, and uh, you can hear me once every couple of weeks or so on the large format photography podcast with uh, Andrew Barcher and Eric Matthew. Um, and Eric Matthew will be a, sh- a guest on this show at some point because Eric's ace and he makes his own lenses. Um, so, oh, cool. Uh, um, so that, that needs to happen sooner rather than later. Um, anything else? Anything else? I think that's it. We, our music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Um, and I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. And if you can, be like Carl. <laughs>